Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week I'm talking to Professor Martin Jones. He's Vice Chancellor of Staffordshire University. It's a hugely important university, particularly for its region, but I think more broadly because it's been highly innovative over the years. We'll get into that when we have our conversation and discussion with Martin. But crucially, at its core, has always been a really sharp sense of the role that a university can play in driving, levelling up and opportunities. So when we look at ourselves as a country that needs to do that more broadly, actually, a good starting place is probably to talk to a university like Staffordshire about what it's doing. But before we get into that, Martin, welcome to the podcast. Um, Great to have you on. And tell us a little bit about Staffordshire University, but also the students that you've got at the university. Who who are the kinds of people that that come to your institution? Thank you, Justine. Good to to be here. And uh, Staffordshire University as an institution, of course, goes all the way back to 1914, when it started off as a central school of science and technology. And then it morphed through the 1920s, Embracing technical education when technical education was the moment then through to the 1950s polytechnic era, the 1970s, of course, became a university in 1992. So in a sense, as you say in your introduction, Justina, a university very much in the space of levelling up before levelling up was even conceived of as as an ideology or a set of words. As a university, um, very interesting to look at our data. It actually surprised me looking at the data when I requested it from planning yesterday. And there are some nuances that I think that are worth worth focusing on in terms of a a university uh, that's got 20, just over 20,000 students in total. uh, And a further 2,000 on top of this registered uh, with our UK partner overseas uh, in terms of that. And that's kind of 20,000 plus our partners. We have 10,800 students on full-time courses which 9,000 of that is predominantly undergraduate, with a further, this is really interesting, further 9,000 students on short and part-time courses, plus 1,070 international students. 12% of our student population is from Stoke-on-Trent, the city of Stoke-on-Trent, that's 12.2%. A further 18% from Staffordshire. Now, what's interesting is 18% of our students has a registered disability. 47% 47% of our population uh, is female, 53 male. But also, and I think this is really important to pause on, just shy of 14,000 of our students started university after their 22nd birthday. So in a sense, that's 70% of the cohort. 20% of our students are in the lowest quintile of the indices of multiple deprivation. 20% of our students are from an ethnic minority uh, background. So what you've got, I think, uh, is a historically a university created in and for its local slash regional community, an institution that was uh, founded from, I think, has always embraced the challenges and opportunities around vocational technical education. But a university, I think, that's morphed over time and fed into, as well as reflected the changing needs of the sector. Uh, an institution, I'm talking to you, from Justine, from Stoke-on-Trent, uh, kind of HQ-based where I am. Uh, Staffordshire University also has uh, a site uh, in Litchfield, uh, a site in Stafford at Blackheath Lane, a site shared at Shrewsbury, but also uh, a site created in recent years in London uh, at the former Olympic Park here east, where predominantly we have a, a digital portfolio. So in a sense, it's really interesting when you look at uh, your own evolution, uh, and as we're going to talk about later, Justine, and I've been uh, somebody that's come and travelled with the locality in which I'm talking to you from. 
I think it's really interesting because in, in a sense, as you say, you know, there's been that footprint in a more vocationally minded university to some extent and almost around it, edu- education policies have been flowed in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But certainly the the switch back, I think, steadily towards education with a purpose and, and that purpose of connecting people up to opportunities, I think is something that really has gone towards the sweet spot of where a university like Staffordshire is, is working. And I think it's probably worth just reflecting on the investment made many years ago now, for example, in e-gaming and some of those courses that now from a STEM perspective, really pay off in terms of providing talent to what is a massive growth industry, it's fair to say, for, for the economy. Yeah, so in a sense, it's an important legacy in terms of pre-gaming, I think, just in terms of computing. So Staffordshire mm, University yeah. the first provider in the UK system of single honours computing uh, in the 1960s. What was interesting around that uh, was the, uh, the location, of course, ICL, British government created in the 1960s, of course, ICL to rival IBM uh, in North America. ICL was in Kidsgrove, North Staffordshire. And so you had uh, a really interesting employer base around computing that the university worked in partnership with. But also, of course, General Electric, GEC. GEC meters were in stone. And then Alstrom, then GEC, became uh, GEC from General Electric Company. was in Stafford. So in a sense, what you've got is a mid-county in a North Staffordshire context around computing and electrical engineering. That electrical engineering and computing legacy from the 60s morphed with uh, mainstream engineering uh, mm-hmm. in the 1990s to create you know, an expanding computational portfolio that then gave rise to, in the, the current century, to the games portfolio. And games is interesting because games is a hybridity of engineering and computing. Yeah. If yeah. you then uh, add to that hybrid interdisciplinary subject-based you know, um, tourism management, you, you then get esports. And we were the first university, I think, probably in the world, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere, to come up with an esports degree scheme uh, taught out of uh, Stoke-on-Trent, and, and then it's one of the portfolios that we we launched in London. So we essentially got computing to games to esport, and that, I think, mirrors a really interesting uh, diverse set of skills interests and how that feeds through to the you know, to the local economy that we come on to talk to. So it kind of had its roots and its foothold in, in what was advanced technical education at the time. Uh, and then our international partner in relationship uh, over a 25-year uh, period with uh, um, APU and APIT in Malaysia was actually fostered around key people that left ICL to set up uh, HE sectors in Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur. And that, that's where our, the, the large chunk of our historic partnership numbers have come from. Uh, but that part was still strong. We're still uh, embedded in uh, that part of the sector and uh, I'm proud of that legacy that marks us, I think, as distinctly different uh, than probably uh, you know, the mainstream muscle group sector of having that kind of that, that rich seam of computational excellence. Yeah, and also a nimbleness to be able to see those future opportunities and create that those talent pipelines, basically, those educational pathways to allow people yeah. to have opportunities in them. I, I think one of the difficulties today is that often we only start doing this work once we see a sector emerging. And actually, I think what was interesting about the the computing and digital capacity that staff steadily built was that it was ahead of that sectoral growth. And so you were able to become a key institution helping helping to feed it with talent, which probably brings us on to another, Mm -hmm. another point, which is looking ahead then. And in a sense, 
as a, an institution that has always kind of been very future looking, where, where for the universities do you see the priorities going forward? You know, what's your mind on now? Yeah, so I think there's probably a number of things that I'm watching and monitoring on the horizon in terms of looking at, you know, as a vice chancellor, I think I see myself as a hinge, a hinge on trying to read the direction of travel, but also influence the direction of travel in our education policy. Again, I guess, you know, there's all, there's a kind of a, an interesting context, there's an interesting debate that we're involved in, of course, with the knowledge versus skills debate uh, in terms of, is it knowledge, is it skills? And around as you see, you know, technical education. Uh, alongside that, there's a debate around earning and learning that mm -hmm. we'll come on to just seeing on the on the on the on the link between earning and learning, the cost of living crisis on students that want to combine elements of study and elements uh, of work at the same time, um, and that's in the context of the debate. And I'm looking forward to seeing the growth uh, the growth agenda on Friday. Uh, launched by the current government in terms of that. Um, but also all this is in the context of obvious concerns around the financial pressure around fees. But that is focusing our attention on uh, uncapped markets. So I'm currently trying to expand our international reach in terms of staffing to university, but also look at diverse forms of, of new forms of, of engagement in terms of higher education policy. And I will come on to talk around micro-credentials later. Uh, but rather than being on the passive end of, of government policy, I'm actively involving, you know, in, in, terms of, in terms of trying to shape our future and seize those opportunities. As a university, we'll be one of the first players in the sector in terms of accelerated degrees, in terms mm -hmm. of offering a two-year degree offer. Probably the fastest rising university at the minute in terms of the growth of degree apprenticeships. Very successful Ofsted uh, visits early this year and Staffordshire University uh, hit over two and a half thousand uh, degree apprentices um, uh, just before the close of our financial year in July. So do you see that number growing, Martin, over time? It is, it is. Is there I think a that demand market. and are you seeing almost what young people, as it were, are wanting to learn and how they want to learn is changing over time and that's why you do more of those degree apprenticeships? It is. I mean, it's part of that knowledge versus skills, yet we do both. Mm -hmm. I don't see knowledge versus skills as a trade-off because even if you're mm -hmm. in the skills end of the provision market rather than knowledge, there's still the soft wraparound skills that are needed in terms of a particular skills portfolio. So the benefit of the degree apprenticeship is it's aligned to a standard, uh, of course, it's aligned to a standard, has underpinning uh, employer engagement, has a distinct pathway, the difference between doing these, I think, in an HE context rather than an FE or a private provider context is that wraparound knowledge and skills framework. We've seen demand for this, seen demand within and outside the locality. Um, we were involved in some big public sector contracts, uh, some huge contracts involving uh, a series of regional police forces, but also a mixture of local providers at the same time. Uh, and I think this is, as, as meeting local need is always uh, as also meeting um, kind of need outside our immediate county and our immediate locality. To answer your question directly, having hit the two and a half thousand mark, um, yeah, I'm looking to grow this further, as are other universities in our part of the market. Uh, you know, and I'll just draw attention to two other successful providers uh, that we talk to as well uh, in a kind of collaborative, non-competitive manner, Manchester Met and Nottingham Trent, of course. Mm -hmm. Similar parts of the, you know, the market, uh, albeit in different economic contexts. And I think it's an important part of Staffordshire's journey, uh, you know, post-2017 under my predecessor, Professor Liz Barnes, and it's the, the continuity and change argument that I'm taking forward as VCs is to make sure we get that balance between 
knowledge and skills in terms of yeah. having a foothold in a conventional market uh, from 18 year old school leavers, but also embracing where possible technical education alongside that apprenticeship market, embracing the first tranche of HTQs, of course, high technical qualifications we were successful in the tranche one. And for uh, people who are less familiar with um, HTQs, just give them a flavour of the kinds of things you're talking about. That yeah, HTQ, and what's interesting, Justin, it's not the best brand label, is it? <laughs> HTQ, not, it's not like, it was, you know, <laughs> I'm wandering around the supermarket and uh, you know I see it on the shelf. So I think the government has a branding issue. It's a level four or five two-year qualification uh, often based around previously uh, accredited foundation degrees but not up to level six although students might want to progress to level six so we were part of the digital uh, initiative that the dfe the government introduced which is a level four or five qualification we're delivering this in partnership with burton burton and south staffordshire college uh, uh, in, in terms of that part in the south part of our county around the digital uh, around cyber uh, around digital security and more bespoke uh, qualification that's aligned to industry standards around a four or five qualification. Students at that point, and what's interesting about HTQ is students can't access the FLC maintenance and loan until next year. So we've been lobbying to make sure that's placed and we're hoping that students might, might want to progress from level four or five to level six by yep. topping it up to In a standard degree. degree level, as it were. Yeah, or, or exiting if the labour market is buoyant uh, and they've satisfied their, yeah. their learning needs at level four, five. Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, it's an interesting, what's interesting about the sector debate is I don't see this as cannibalising our own provision. Mm -hmm. My challenge, you know, working in partnership uh, uh, with you, of course, Justin, is to increase the participation of HE anyway across the places than we work. And because uh, where I'm talking to you from and across Staffordshire County, it's half the national average in terms of progression rates into HE. That for me is, is, is trying to get access to an untapped market in terms of HE learners for a technical education dynamic. And I think it's about creating that additional choice for people who perhaps for whatever reason actually don't want to do a, a full degree, but do want to get that next tranche of of accredited learning done and under under their belts and it slightly brings us on to this broader issue also of micro-credentials this yeah. sense that actually lots of people want to top up and extend their their knowledge and skills but actually a full degree is too much for them they may be already in the workplace and actually they've got a degree so that, I know that's something the staffs that you've really started thinking about and it'd be good to get your sense of what you think about the micro-credentials opportunities going forward and, and what your what your experiences actually of both would-be learners but also employers um, and their attitudes in this space. And again there's um I think there's an interesting branding narrative here because micro-credentials uh, for those listeners that haven't come across them are small units of learning that are different in size and complexity and duration to learning of traditional what we could, you could call macro credentials so the macro credential being the traditional formal qualification such as certificates diplomas and degrees by contrast micro credentials are as they sound an umbrella term for a wide range of learning products in terms of called digital badges nano degrees micro masters of course, MOOCs we had before just seen, didn't we? Mass, mass online uh, open learning courses. The broad assumption is that, uh, is that micro-credentials are designed 
to be flexible, adaptive to the needs of employers uh, and learners, but adaptive to a changing labour market in, in, in terms of skilling, reskilling and upskilling. The idea of moving from a macro credential, one size fits all, which can be conceived as a, a rigid qualification, to something that's more flexible, something more, log uh, more modular, something that's attuned and akin to lifelong learning, designed to address the skills needs to drive higher levels of productivity. Micro-credentials, I think, are important for Staffordshire University, allowing employers and businesses to engage in, and learners, uh, in bite-sized learning that's targeted for specific individual industry needs. In short, focused design, being agile, being responsive to skills gaps, skills needs, uh, anticipating and predicting and, and feeding the jobs and skill needs of the future. The uh, principle, let me just focus briefly uh, on how this is in terms of listener thinking. So what we're talking about is bite-sized chunks of learning that can be uh, accessed by learners over a period of time, taking opportunity from shifts that we might see in government policy in the future around the LLE, the lifelong learning, lifelong loan entitlement uh, agenda of taking four years of equivalent funding, use this, using this flexibly, somebody moving in and out of provision, possibly in and out of different institutions at the same time. Um, importantly, it's called stacking, taking credits that might be of five credits, stacking these into appropriate blocks of learning into 20 credits uh, or more or even fewer, and then a purpose of checking out and trading these uh, in terms of formalised qualifications. So in a sense, it's, it's radical. I think it raises a number of challenges for how we do this in terms of delivery platforms. Uh, in my mind, it, what's critical is an employer engagement, learner engagement. But I think it's radical because the, the macro credential uh, model is the one that we've seen, I think, that's very traditional uh, in is. UK, higher education and Staffordshire University is not seeking to, to move away from the macro. I think it's seeking to, to complement this with the micro. In my mind, I think it's applicable probably to more of a mature learner market, uh, or it can be for kind of your conventional 18 to 25 year old market in context where I think where there's deeply embedded uh, and deeply um, in a kind of understood relationships with FE, with employers where you have a, a skills pipeline that might be based on uh, kind of established customer practices around certain sectors. Staffordshire University's uh, working with this, as you know, uh, Justine, in terms of uh, trying to push this debate. Uh, I think it's really, really important in my context for trying to increase the quantity and the quality of learning in Stoke-on-Trent and Staffordshire beyond. Uh, and it's, because it's, it's really about giving people, again, more options, isn't it? And, yeah. and also reflecting that about more options it's about the fact that probably the way people want to learn in the future and keep on learning um is going to change I, you know everyone is focused on steadily fleshing out what this lifelong learning entitlement will be um so i think we are on the cusp of people taking a very different view in the future of how they want to study and learn than perhaps conventionally you know I might have done when, when I was a younger person but also even now in, in my career what's your it'll sense be, of sorry go on Martin no I was just going to mention what the, another part of the radical delivery model I think is the is the structure of HE I see it's been a really important way of looking at a group of higher education providers that might want to work as a consortia that recognize each other's credentials and enable a learner to move freely between them. So in a sense, the link between micro-credentials and social mobility 
in regional local context, I think is really, really important in terms of encouraging HE providers to work together. But even I think HE to work with FE in terms of where, 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 where HE is delivered in partnership with FE. And I guess a lot of universities already have many of those links. So it's about bringing it all to bear to be able to deliver, you know, what can be a much more tailored approach on learning that people tailor for themselves um, than they've ever really had access to in the past. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's early days in this. Uh, I think uh, what we're trying to do is to just raise the debate, raise the opportunities with the, uh, you know, with the DFE and the funding system that uh, is set to flex, uh, you know, in a sense, if this is the, the era of deregulation and, uh, you know, and reduction of regulatory burdens in terms of, uh, in terms of making markets work, this is, I think, a, radi a radical way of, of challenging the conventional macro consortium model. Do you think employers' ideas on, on all of this is steadily evolving as well? Obviously, for a lot of them, if you, if you talk 10 years ago, they wouldn't have been doing apprenticeships. And, and now, you know, many are. Do you think this is part of that continued evolution and journey there on in terms of how they look at skills and their involvement in allowing skills to be developed for staff and, and future employees? I agree. If you look at probably the last two years in the context of the COVID and the COVID recovery, the acceleration in digital skills and digital sectors, uh, I think, has focused companies to, to look at how they relate to emerging markets. I think the combined impacts of COVID and Brexit is leading to a strategic reorientation of some of the employers I've seen so in Trent and Staffordshire, and the need to challenge themselves uh, to work individually, collectively, and harnessing and uh, uh, and grappling with those skills of the, the future and micro credentials allows that flexible specialization of skills uh, in there. Uh, I think what's key to making it work, though, I think is effective forms of employer engagement. In my mind, just in building on that pipeline of companies already involved in uh, apprenticeships, pre degree, degree apprenticeships, T levels probably at the same time, as well as HTQs, that entire kind of gambit and raft of technical education. Uh, I kind of see Staffordshire University working with partners going to yeah. the market, to the business community, saying, can we talk about an overall package of skills for you that might not just involve us, it might involve our, our FE partners and collaborators because we work at different parts of the skills pipeline. I think it's very interesting. It's important because done, you know, working in partnership with learners and employers, you see. It's crucial. And it's probably worth just talking about that partnership piece of what you were doing obviously staffs for for many years has really been one of those anchor institutions in that local area certainly when we got the opportunity area up and running in Stoke I was delighted to see um your predecessor Liz Barnes really I mean absolutely being a, a leading force in that um as one of the the chairs of the opportunity area Board. But I think behind it almost was this wider ethos wasn't there for staffs that, that you're obviously continuing and developing, growing in fact, Martin, which is staffs really being a mover and a shaker and, and really playing that more local leadership role through developing those, those partnerships. So tell us a little bit about how you do that, how you approach developing those partnerships, which are the most important ones that you've already got? Or where do you see some fresh ones, perhaps because of this micro-credentials work, for example, steadily emerging over, over the future? Great question. If I see the role of myself and my senior team and my colleagues as one as providing a landscape of educational gain, 
Mm -hmm. um, I think you know local collaboration is key to Staffordshire University. So as well as the roles that I've had since I arrived at Staffordshire University in 2017, as Deputy Vice Chancellor and Vice Chancellor from the 1st of January, I've, I've chaired the Potteries Educational Trust next door, which mm -hmm. is historically built around a Stockholm Strength Sixth Form College, the first purpose-built Sixth Form College in the UK. So I've been the chair of that, and that's academised uh in a model that involves schools in that also my senior team and myself have been governors of the stoke-on-trent college uh up the road as well and together the six form college and the university form uh, something called the university quarter so that university quarter uh, you know is fe and he at the same time as well as that staffordshire university uh, sponsors 21 schools um, one high school, the rest a mixture of primary, uh, primary and middle schools in terms of the academisation landscape in a sense providing that platform from primary or pre from preschool to PhD and that educational pipeline is part of uh, the civic engagement. Uh, we also uh, across the senior team, it's not just myself, the executive senior team have active working relationships with all the local authorities at upper tier level, county council and city mm -hmm. council, but also districts and boroughs. So the shift towards shared prosperity funding uh, from the European structure funds previously, uh, the empowerments of the lower tier, the districts and boroughs, uh, we partner and network across. But also, and this is the key question of not just the civic community, but also the business sector, the chief executive of the Chamber of Commerce, has been on the Staffordshire University Board of Governors for nearly a decade. Uh, so in a sense, we're, we're well networked with, with uh, in, in the language being the ERBs, employer representative bodies. Mm -hmm. I'm also a director of the local enterprise uh, partnership, the LEP, SSLEP, so called mm -hmm. Staffordshire LEP. And then in what little time, spare time I have left, just the, <laughs> I was going to say, I, sounds I, busy. I chair, I chair the SAP. I don't take the SAP, I chair the SAP. I chair the skills advisory panel mm. uh, uh, of, of the county, which is um, you know, DFE sponsored initiative uh, that works alongside you know the the lab trying to project uh, kind of predict, uh, project project can't remember my words that project skills needs and then probably weekends i'm also involved in local skills and improvement plans under the dfe initiative so in a sense you know we're everywhere um in terms of that network and i think what's unique around universities like staffordshire it's the business sector the civic sector but also civil society as well Mm -hmm. uh, amongst that mix of things I've just mentioned to you, there's a deep, deep embedded networks around the third sector. I'm also a member of the Hardship Commission in terms of recognising the role of the university in social mobility uh, and educational gains. And it's like fingers in every pie, really, trying to keep it all <laughs> together. And in, in what is, I think, is a, as a university, it takes its local role, its regional role seriously, because that's where it started from, I way back in 1914. Right. I think that's absolutely right. And... I think whilst we're doing the podcast, I also wanted to, as an aside, ask you about some of those fresh steps on entrepreneurship that you're taking with some of those bigger local employers. That's really, I think, potentially very exciting in terms of developing entrepreneur skills in Stoke, but then also giving them chance to really get funding. Can, tell us a little bit about how you're yeah. developing all of that work. So the university is, is, is in partnership with, uh, with Coach, Ventures, Coach Ventures, Peter Coates, uh, owner of Stoke City Football Club and the family that of course created Bet365, a huge employer, digital employer in North Staffordshire with over 4,000 employees um, in Stoke-on-Trent. And together we're working on a scheme called the MSc in Entrepreneurship where uh, learners from Stoke-on-Trent and Staffordshire 
will have the opportunity to have uh, you know, a bursary to pay their fees to do an, M an MSc in entrepreneurship uh, for the first year. Uh, it's starting uh, you know, yeah, this year uh, in terms of an initiative sponsored by uh, the Coates family, who are enormously important to Stoke on Trent in North Staffordshire. But not just the MSc in entrepreneurship being an academic qualification, they'll also have access to subjects of business planning and coaching. Uh, startup funds uh, up to £200,000 worth of, uh, of pump priming funding for their business ideas, subject to business cases being appro be approved by the uh, Coaches uh, Ventures panel, uh, in terms of getting the ability to turn academic ideas uh, from textbook to practice working with our entrepreneurs in residence to create green shoots and new companies uh, in the North Staffordshire economy. And given the context of uh, of an interesting but challenging locality, having that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit to start your own is something that we recognise as a priority. And we've been working with Peter uh, Coates, Coates and his uh, and his board of trustees to try and make this possible. Uh, and I'm really excited, uh, you know, that we're involved in this uh, as kind of it, this was in my first uh, six months in terms of being able to pull this off with a high level launch in the summer. I think it's I think it's really exciting, and it's one of those brilliant ideas that that when you hear about it you just wonder why no one's ever done this before but um you know I think if you can if you can pull it off as you're saying I think it would be be a massive massive contribution now I wanted to finish off the the podcast by just asking you about your own journey and career Martin because I guess most people aren't at school thinking I think I want to be a vice chancellor when I when I get a bit older so so what was your journey into if you like the education sector and then in within that higher education tell us a little bit about that what were you planning to do when you were at school what was the initial Martin game plan there's an interesting set of ironies here um, so I, went to, I went to school six and a half miles away uh, from where I'm talking to you now and I originally initially left school with uh, my A-levels and went to Aston University to do a degree in Management Administration Science uh, because I believe that we were the managerial class of the future. However, this is really interesting, at the age of 18, I didn't realise probably what that meant. So mm -hmm. I only lasted about six and a half weeks at Aston University. Okay. Um, but then had the common sense to realise I was not ready for this. So I yeah. then kind of, you know, the golden rules of what was the seven-week fee rule in them days, of, of being able to try it, I realised it wasn't for me. And I worked then for Staffordshire County Council in okay. the Treasurer's Department uh, and then learned a lot of my research skills there and then went to university a year later. Right. I went to Manchester University to do a degree uh, in geography, uh, and then stayed and then did a PhD and a postdoc. So I was nine years at Manchester University in economic and political geography, did a PhD on the Training and Enterprise Council movement in terms of skills and vocational mm -hmm. training. So trained as an economic and political geographer, then moved to Aberystwyth University in mid Wales. Originally only one, went for a one year job and ended up staying for 15 years in a accounting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can't plan, can you? It's about serendipity, encounter and opportunity. Met a great group of colleagues from the top departments in the UK at that time and accelerated up to head the department at a very early age in my 30s. And so, so back at this point, Martin, are you already thinking that actually you're probably going to stay in education, stay in academia, and that's going to be your, your thing? It was, because I had a very important PhD supervisor is now the best in the world of what he does and he, he mm -hmm. 
he told me when, when, I, when he was in his late 20s, so in a sense, I was very fortunate to be in this ideal incubator of not knowing at the mm-hmm. time. The great thing about Einstein, as you know, is you don't know what's happening at the time unless you look back at it. Uh, and yeah. I'd, uh, the listeners, what I would uh, encourage listeners to do is to just go with it when you've got a hunch that it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I always believed in my conviction and I had parental support in terms of supporting me and letting me make my own successes and failures at the same time. And probably by... By that time of being the head of department, in my early 30s, it was kind of combination, Justine, in terms of our education, but also more of a leadership and management mm. complementary strand at the same time. With Didn't no doubt, really... quite a lot of ideas thrown in to, to kind of, you know, develop things, I'd have thought. Yeah, but also I was in a unique place and, and having unique colleagues, and it wasn't until... I kind of uh, got to the stage of doing that at what's called pro vice chancellor level, so yeah. make the top table, uh, thinking right, I can actually do this because mm-hmm. uh, in a sense you do a lot of. There's no textbook out there that tells you how to do these jobs, uh, but I, I went from being work. a leader. I went from being a leader in an academic field in my discipline, so there was transfer. And there is a, a segue here to what we were talking about earlier: somebody that could combine knowledges and skills. You know that kind of interdisciplinary knowledge of floating across from your own area albeit narrow, trained as an economic geographer, to try to create and lead an institution. In a sense, what I do for a living, uh, which is interesting, I think it's applied economic geography. That's what I do as a VC, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of I'm, I build agglomerations uh, and try to influence the size and shape of the agglomerations in the places I work. And I think also probably what's interesting is bringing insight from what's been some very different places to bear, ironically, as you say, in Staffordshire University, somewhere which was basically where you grew up, right on your doorstep. It is, yeah. I mean, taking those skills to hone, and you're right. I mean, what geography taught me is the importance of placemaking and place shaping. Mm. The fact that you can't plonk uh, policies in from elsewhere because often they don't travel, they get sick on the plane. So in a sense, it taught me about being being sceptical but supportive of policymakers that try to borrow things from often from North America and plonk them down. <laughs> yeah, okay. and often, often they don't travel very well, but also the need to build organic policies that come from communities at the same time. So I learned a lot of policy pragmatism in terms of how the world works, how the policy world works, but also how to influence yeah. You know, politicians and policymakers, which is a subtle, you know, a subtle game as we know of getting it right. Exactly. And if you were you looking back to sort of almost give yourself some advice based on what you know now, and and if you like taking, let's bank the other brilliant bit of advice, which was just go with the flow of it. If you've got a hunch, go with it. What what other advice would you give to people? who were sort of at that earlier stage in their career as you were, not like totally sure what they're going to do, but just sort of finding their way. I think it's the lesson, I think, in terms of what I do now. I try to find what the institution's good at. So try to find in your own mind what you enjoy and what you're good at. But you have to be driven by passion at that age. You have to be driven by a sense of purpose, which is what you're good at. So it's finding what you're good at and developing that to the next level uh, in terms of, and also being mindful that certain things will materialise and grow over time. I couldn't have looked back and predicted what was a rather interesting career set of moves <laughs> at the time. And the rearview mirror analysis is, in, you know, is always interesting. But I think the lesson I learned from the age of 18, hence the kind of the jerky part of that part of my career, was to follow what I was good at. Yeah. Well, look, Martin, it's been brilliant having you on the podcast. Obviously, there's a long way in. Um, your career to go as well (laughs) so um, brilliant to have your insights 
thus far, but also to get a chance to, to talk through the work of what I think is a really, really important higher education institution, um, Staffordshire University. We're delighted to have you as part of all the levelling up and purpose coalition work, because actually I think, as you say, part of it is influencing that broader agenda, but I think you do that by showing some of the solutions that are already out there and working. And, and, and that's where I think Staffordshire really fits into it. So thanks so much for being on the podcast, Martin. Um, it's been brilliant to have you as a guest. Thank you. Justine, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.